G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. In fact, I believe this is an exciting conversation we are going to have. A stronger economy, more jobs and an Australian economy living within its means. Well, that was the pitch of the Treasurer in last night's federal budget. In a lot of households, it's still the case of huddling around the TV to see what's in the national coffers of the Treasurer at budget time. It affects the way you raise your family, how you grow your business, whether the nation is flourishing and the confidence that we have in the future. But there are some shallow ways or there might be some deeper ways that we might bring some insight into the federal budget. And over this next hour, we're hoping to bring a Christian analysis of the budget. Uh, This time, there's been mixed emotions going into the federal budget. Of course, you'll be aware of the idea of a ballooning national debt and a treasurer handing out tax dollars in the hope that there will be some level of trickle-down effect growing the broader economy. And not everyone is convinced that tax breaks are the answer, but it is a pre-election year budget. So let's get some insights today, and you might like to offer your own in those ways on Facebook or joining our talkback conversation shortly. Our special guest, economist Dr. Rod St. Hill. Rod is Vice President Academic at the Christian Heritage College in Brisbane where he teaches in the business faculty with a focus on missional business, so the idea that business has a mission in the Kingdom of God. Our other guest is Gavin Martin. He's founder and managing director of Cornerstone Wealth in Melbourne and Sydney. His company is based on the principle that a person's true worth isn't measured by financial net worth, but on the belief that the individual is of inestimable value. So a special welcome to 2020 uh, to you first, Rodson Hill. It's great to be with you, Neil. And Gavin Martin on the line with us from Melbourne. Welcome along. G'day, Neil and Rod. Great to be with you both. Uh, let's start with something of an overview of the budget from last night. And uh, let's start with you, Gavin Martin. Uh, you're dealing on the coalface, talking to people, whether it's mums and dads, business people, investors, uh, people who are using their finance and wanting to get the most out of it. Uh, what's your overview of how the budget would have been received last night? Yeah, some say that it might be considered a magic pudding budget with uh, tax collections going up, uh, tax cuts being introduced and the budget deficit going down. Um, But I think it's the right budget, both economically and politically, um, that that will both increase business confidence and consumer confidence that will position Australia for the for the next few years. Okay, Rodson Hill, your thoughts as an overview of the budget last night? Well, look, I wouldn't totally agree with with Gavin. I think it's a fairly lazy budget, actually, because uh, they've relied on an unexpected increase in company tax in order to fund some of their increases in expenditure. They haven't really tried too hard to bring down debt in a hurry. 
and uh, in that respect, I think they are looking towards an election. But on the other hand, they certainly haven't gone on a spending frenzy. So I think on balance, I understand this budget from a political perspective, but it is disappointing from an economic perspective. That magic pudding idea, Gavin Martin, the idea that there's always going to be something there, that may be an optimistic view. Yeah, there are question marks around, you know, will this continue? Will the tax receipts continue to, to grow? And therefore, will it ultimately end up in the uh, debt and deficit being able to be paid off? But I think it positions uh, Australia in, a, in, a, in an upward beat. Um, you can see already that having talked about um, at tax cuts, it increases consumer confidence and that um, enables the economy to focus on growth rather than uh, retraction. Um, so I think it's actually a reasonable balance, both yeah, both politically and economically. Um, Rodson Hill, when we talk about budgets like this, and more and more I find that Christian believers don't want the wool pulled over their eyes. Uh, they want to be able to see things in a different light, uh, through a different lens. Uh, when we talk about budgets like this, obviously the government has to be optimistic. And the opposition, when they do a reply, they have to be pessimistic. Uh, we have to be able to see where those balances are and then read between the lines. Uh, when we've got uh, budget statements like this, some people will say, well, this is the government being honest with an economic statement. Or, as others will say, this is a pre-election budget. This is a political statement. What are your thoughts? Well, I think, Neil, it has to be both. That's the reality. The reality is that under our political and economic system, we have governments that are elected by the people, and so their budget is always in part a political document. There has been a tendency over the last probably 50 years or so for governments to fix up all the problems created by the previous government in their first year in office, and we saw that fail spectacularly with um, Kev, um, Tony Abbott. Tony Abbott in 2014, and I actually thought that was a good budget because they were on a very clear trajectory to deal with what they called the debt and deficit problem, but that was roundly rejected by the media and uh, certainly by by the Senate. I I think it's a terrible shame, and Australia has paid an enormous price for that. But uh, that's the way it turned out, and so that the the old uh, mores about come down hard in your first budget tidy things up in your second budget and then look to an election in the third budget. They just don't apply anymore. And uh, as we were talking a little bit before we went on air about the fact that there are surveys that indicate that people would prefer the paying down of debt to a reduction in income tax. And that's bizarre because those kinds of results we haven't seen before. So I think there's actually been a significant change in the mood of the people over the last few years and uh, the government might not have really picked up on that at this point. Gavin Martin, let's talk about some of the details of the budget, but uh, in a general sense, uh, there's this idea the devil is in the detail. As you have been uh, going through the details of the budget, uh, are there things in there that are concerning to you or you think that there are uh, cover-ups or you think that there are uh, illegitimate ways of presenting uh, those sorts of details? Uh, what, what was the, your thought on uh, on the idea that there could be devil in the detail? I think the biggest devil in the detail is around the deferral of the tax cuts. So there are actually minimal tax cuts uh, commencing 
as long as it's legislated uh, from next financial year, the 1st of July 2018. And there is the range of those cuts are between $290 or $200 and $530 would be the maximum tax cut you would get next financial year. All the larger tax cuts up to sort of over $7,000 for someone on $200,000 don't commence until 2024. And so that's the biggest devil in the detail. But politically, it'll be really fascinating to see how this lands because the government's wanting to put that through as a single package, uh, get that approved altogether, but Labor's only committing to agree to the first years of, um, of tax cuts. So if, they not, if that package doesn't get separated out, uh, you know, it'd be an interesting political process to see where it lands and how that feeds into the federal election. Uh, Rodson Hill, uh, the devil in the detail, what have you noticed? I certainly agree with Gavin on that point. I think both in relation to in, uh, income tax cuts for businesses and for individuals, they are in the future and a lot of things could happen during that period of time, including a change in government. So, you know, Scott Morrison last night when he brought down the bad budget identified five five areas, really, on which to judge his uh, performance. One was providing tax relief, and as Gavin has suggested, the, the level of tax relief in the current uh, financial year will be minimal, very, very small, and we have to wait until 2024 for what will be a significant change and a good change because it will actually flatten the, the tax scale. So that, that's a very positive thing, but we've got to wait quite a long time before it happens. In terms of business, not a lot has happened in the private business area, and uh, I think we really need to be generating a much better environment for the private sector, and there's very little in this budget except tax cuts, but they won't happen until sometime down the future, and that's also dependent on what happens in the Senate. Guaranteeing essential services for Australians. I think he's done fairly well in that area. So this is guaranteeing things like Medicare, the pharmaceutical benefits scheme, and also the National Disability Insurance Scheme. I really think they have to be marked high in that area because they've essentially earmarked funding to ensure, even without increasing the Medicare levy, that they can be adequately funded. So that that's a good thing. The other area was keeping Australians safe, and I think... They've done very well in this area as well, uh, even though that's not a large budget item. I think they've really got their eye on the ball in that area. And uh, if I get a chance, I'll, I'll refer to some scripture, which I think is really important in this context. And uh, the fifth one was ensuring that the government lives within its means. And no, they haven't. I think they've failed there in a major way because they, they are not committed to reducing the size of government and I think that's a significant flaw in their budget and in their strategy going forward. Gavin Martin, uh, based on those sorts of comments uh, from Rodson Hill, uh, w- your thoughts? Do you have anything to add? Yeah, just on the living within the means, I think that's such a challenge because we've seen, as uh, Rod uh, talked about earlier, the, the hockey um, uh, Abbott budget that was the traditional um, uh, first term, uh, first year budgets um, of the term, and it just didn't get through. It didn't get through the uh, parliament. It was poorly received in the media. So whilst it would be good to take that approach and pay down debt um, more quickly, the, the climate doesn't seem to allow it. So I think the, the challenge of living within your means is both being able to balance what you can get through the parliament and what the public will accept um, versus what you'd ideally like to do economically.
Uh, Rodson Hill, just to pick up on something you mentioned, and we, in fact, talked about in an earlier conversation, this idea of the National Disability Insurance Scheme, uh, which was going to be paid for by the Medicare levy, take away the Medicare levy and fund the National Disability Insurance Scheme through... uh, general revenues, uh, some people raised the idea that that would actually uh, cause some level of uh, of uh, lack of confidence that the scheme would be fully funded. Uh, you were indicating that it would have been better to keep it under uh, Medicare. What are your thoughts, uh, having now heard what the, the Treasurer has delivered, uh, that is the, the tack that he's taken, uh, what are your thoughts with so far as this idea of having a, a level of confidence of guaranteeing funding? Well, I certainly think it's a good thing that there is a level of guarantee, but I believe in transparency. Medicare, the Pharmaceutical Benefits Scheme and the National Disability Insurance Scheme, they're all insurance schemes and I don't think they should be paid for through general revenue. I think there should be a separate tax, we call that the Medicare levy, and that should gradually be increased to a level that will enable us to fully fund all three of those important insurance schemes for Australians. At the same time, you could reduce personal income tax rates. So I wouldn't necessarily suggest that we increase taxation overall, but we need to clearly identify it because one of the problems we have in Australia is that far too many people think these services are free and they're not. They use up resources. It's very, very expensive to run the health system, the pharmaceutical benefit system, and in time, the National Disability Insurance Scheme will cost a lot of money, probably around $30 billion a year. That's a very, very large sum of money. And we're already sinking um, vast sums of money into the health system, for example, um, uh, nearly $80 billion in the current budget. Now, of course, as Christian believers, and uh, we look at an overall biblical idea of caring for the poor, and so this idea of of guaranteeing some level of uh, confidence uh, that those who are uh, suffering a disability or who may be at the lower end of the socioeconomic spectrum, that they can have some level of care. Uh, we'll we'll talk about that in just a moment. Just to come back to, you mentioned that you had some scripture, because as we, as Christians, as we talk about the level of economic uh, understanding that we have, uh, what were you going to share with so far as, uh, as scripture goes? Yeah, thanks for that, uh, Neil. Look, um, arguably, the best of economic times in the whole of human history were during the reign of King Solomon. And uh, in 1 Kings 4.24, it says, and I'm using the New Living Translation here because I think that's one that's very easy to understand. But 1 Kings 4.24 says, During the lifetime of Solomon, all of Judah and Israel lived in peace and safety. And from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south, each family had its own home and garden. Now, there's a lot to unpack there. The first thing is that for a successful socioeconomic um, system, everybody has to be safe. They need to feel that they are safe. So they need to feel that their possessions are safe. They need to feel that they're safe in a bodily sense. They need to be um, confident that they'll operate in an environment of peace. And so I, I think one of the most important roles of government from a biblical perspective is to provide that environment because only the government can do that. It's not something that you and I can do as private individuals. But on the other hand, in the time of Solomon, each family, it says, had their own home and garden. Other versions of the the Bible talk about 
living under their own vine and, and fig tree, and that's a motif that we see a number of times in the Old Testament. But that's fundamentally about private sector generating income and wealth. So I'm not a strong advocate for social welfare. welfare. I'm a strong advocate for private welfare. I'm a strong advocate for things like the Old Testament principle of gleaning. And uh, one of the areas in which business, I believe, has an important role to play in the kingdom of God is that businesses should be setting aside some employment for people who would otherwise be unemployable. It's not good for people to um, require or depend upon the government for, for their own welfare. And one reason for that is that the social welfare system is designed for survival and not for thriving. And God's heart is that we would flourish, that we would actually thrive. We can only actually do that in the presence of a very strong private sector. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Bringing a Christian dimension to thoughts about last night's federal budgets. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316 or leave a comment on our Facebook page. Two guests with us in the studio as we've assembled an expert Christian panel. Expert economist Dr. Rodson Hill, Vice President, Academic at the Christian Heritage College in Brisbane and Gavin Martin, the, man- the founder and managing director of Cornerstone Wealth in Melbourne and in Sydney. Uh, let's come to an area that you are working with on the coalface, Gavin Martin, when you're working with people who are concerned about pensions, uh, concerned about the way that their lifestyle will be affected by a budget. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, pensioners and their ability to earn a little extra each year, uh, as announced in the federal budget last night? Yeah, this is one small but important measure that they've introduced. Um, they've increase what they call the work bonus. So if you're on the age pension and you are generating some income, you can earn up to, um, so employment income, you can earn up to $6,500 without it affecting your pension. They're going to boost that by another $1,300 to $7,800 that you can earn without it impacting your pension. Now this has important implications um, across a number of dimensions that when people are engaged in the workforce, uh, in paid employment, um, it has, and its research has shown that it has both psychological, psychological health, um, well-being, um, positive outcomes uh, across the board, as well as um, then providing a bit of extra income to supplement other sources of income. And what, the other key change that hasn't um, always come across is that they've also included self-employment in that test as well. That was a key problem often where someone was not in not employed um, by an employer, but they were running their own small business, uh, and that didn't. And in, under that circumstance, the work test didn't apply. This is a great move to allow people just running small businesses uh, to be included as part of that work bonus system. So, um, really good change there. Rodson Hill, this is going to be a growth area where governments are going to be more supportive of people who are entering retirement, uh, going on the pension. Uh, We've got an ageing population. Uh, In fact, it's uh, going to be uh, uh, ballooning uh, as well. it's begun to balloon now. So governments paying attention to issues like this, uh, allowing pensioners to earn some more. Does this do good things for people's self-esteem and their uh, their self-worth? Definitely. Look. We are living longer and we're living more healthy lives on average. So we, we, we don't really have to retire at 65 in any case. 
But um, and gradually we're we're moving the pension age up to to around seventy as well. So there are ch- changes happening there. But I, I think it's a great thing for people's self esteem if they can actually take the initiative, earn some income on top of their pension without being penalised. And uh, people of this age, of course, can come into a workforce with enormous experience. They've got a lot of experience of life. They've got a lot of wisdom that they can share. And, of course, a biblical principle was that we should take notice of the elderly because they have that wisdom that simply comes through living life for a long time. So I agree with Gavin. I I think these kinds of moves are very positive, both for individuals and for our society as a whole. Let's go to a different dimension. There's so much to talk about. Uh, Issues of employment. Uh, I think uh, as we look at unemployment figures, things are relatively low in Australia at the moment. Uh, Growth in employment, was there much in the budget that reflected on that uh, issue, Rodson Hill? Not a lot, but there was a statement that the Treasurer made saying that there were something like 415,000 new jobs created in Australia over the last 12 months. What he didn't say, and what the Prime Minister hasn't said, is that most of those jobs are in the public sector. In fact, public sector job growth is about three times what it is in the private sector, and that worries me a lot. Uh, One reason for that is that public sector salaries are paid out of the budget, so that puts added pressure on the budget. And because of the degree of unionisation in the public service, their wage growth is quite a lot higher than it has been in the private sector. Not only has there been growth in wages, but general conditions of employment are much better in the public service than in the private sector. And in fact, the private sector simply would not be able to deliver on the same standards, if you like, of employment contracts. I think that's a concern into the medium and the long term because the government is clearly relying on an increase in personal income tax in order to fund things like the reduction in personal income tax rates a little further down the track. What we really need to be doing is to be engineering our economy to make employment in the private sector more attractive, both for businesses who are the employers and for potential employees. And we must stop this very rapid growth of the public sector. Uh, Lots to talk about with that. Uh, Running short of time in the lead-up to news, time to take a call. Let's hear from Jim in Tanamira in Queensland, just 90 seconds out from news. Jim, uh, what are your thoughts quickly? Uh, I've been... uh, I haven't been listening intently, but I've been listening to you talking about the retirees and uh, being able to work. That's all very good and fine if you can work. Uh, That's true. Uh, Response from you, Gavin Martin. Uh, That's uh, an important point that Jim is making. Yeah, it is. Um, and it is difficult if you're wanting to work and can't uh, get any work. Um, but th- there are lots of different um, mechanisms for um, genera- generating a little bit of income, whether that be the likes of the uh, the gig economy where you can um, uh, go out and uh, drive people around um, Using Uber, for example, there are lots of different ways that you might be able to think creatively about generating income. But um, uh, as um, uh, the caller says, it's not always easy for people to get that income. Where where it is, this is a great scheme to allow it to happen. Let me come to an important element of last night's federal budgets, and that came around the idea of increases to schools' chaplaincy. 
when we talk about schools chaplaincy, one of those things that's very contentious in Australian society. Uh, Gavin Martin, your thoughts and uh, what the government is delivering for schools chaplaincy. Uh, yes, the round of funding for chaplaincy is, uh, was scheduled to cease um, at the end of this year and uh, there was a large question mark as to whether it would continue moving forward and uh, it's great to see that they've um, effectively funded the, at least the next four years and um, there were some um, points where they alluded to, to it being a, an ongoing program that they were funded but at least in the budget got the next four years funded so $62 million towards um uh, supporting chaplains in schools, which will help to assist those people that are vulnerable, um, needing support uh, in our school communities. Robson Hill, every chaplain in every school around Australia is a stake in the ground. The presence of a Christian minister of the gospel brings a huge influence on the school, and of course that's why it's so contentious uh, that those secularised uh, Australians who want to manoeuvre uh, the Christian voice out of our society, uh, there is some sense here. Is the government making a, a statement when they say we're going to guarantee this funding for chaplaincy? Well, I certainly think that they are underscoring the importance of the role that chaplains play, and uh, so I, I, I certainly welcome this um, initiative. And it gives some certainty to chaplains in their schools. Obviously, it's not going to pay them a big salary. They'll still be raising funding and so on. But many, many principals welcome the presence of a chaplain because they're, they're on somewhat neutral ground. They're not employed by government. They're not employed directly by the school. They're employed by a chaplaincy committee normally. And so they, they are at arm's length to everything that goes on within a school. These days, they are trained, so there's a level of professionalism that uh, perhaps what wasn't there, say, a decade or so ago. So the whole area of school chaplaincy has moved on and chaplains now have a degree of expertise in areas like counselling. And uh, they are often called upon when there are tragedies in the school. They are called upon to minister to people who come from difficult family circumstances and so on. And, uh, of course, one of the elements that the government has announced that this funding will cover is anti-bullying programs in schools. And I, I think the Christian community should be very, very pleased about that because of our concerns with what's been happening elsewhere in the education system in relation to anti-bullying programs. Well, this idea of the anti-bullying program and uh, the fact that the Safe Schools program has been promoted as an anti-bullying program, uh, now it just about changes tack here and puts anti-bullying in the bag of the school chaplains. Your thoughts on that whole idea, Gavin Martin? Uh, yes, coming from Victoria where there's uh, sometimes a little bit, what's the word? Um, You're inundated with safe schools in Victoria. Um, yeah, things are sometimes, um, there's two parts of that. There's federal funding, but then the states have to administer it. So sometimes, depending on what government is in power within the Victorian um, uh, government, uh, how that is implemented and what it can be used for can sometimes um, not be quite as we would want it. Um, so there are two parts of it. Funding from federal but um, administered uh, state can actually cause some problems with that bullying type programs and the um, Victorian government, government in particular is pushing forward with um, many of those um, bullying 
programs that have some pretty strange agendas. Um, and they're putting it through all different subjects from PE to um, science. Um, sometimes it comes under the banner of um, uh, family violence and they get the same sort of gender um, uh, discussions that aren't necessarily healthy for young people to be uh, hearing it, I, I would suggest. So, yeah, it's not always a clear-cut thing because it is administered, um, programs are administered through the state system. Now, you raise an important point there, and uh, just to bring this into the conversation for your comment, uh, when we talk about the chaplaincy being guaranteed uh, into the future, uh, there's one point there that may be about uh, those who are on the left of the conservative side of government, we're talking about the Liberal National coalition uh, who may be looking to appease some of those on the right uh, within the party there's this other dimension that you raise and draw attention to here Gavin Martin uh, and that is that the government may actually be setting up a wedge in Victoria there's a state election due in Victoria at the end of this year and the Andrews government is very determined to continue to fund the safe schools program Uh, the, the federal government here is now making a true and real option uh, for voters. And so there is a wedge in Victoria. Any thoughts on that, uh, Rodson Hill? Well, I don't really consider myself much of a political scientist. (laughs) I think you're probably doing better at that than I am, Neil. Um, But it's possibly so, uh, because we've got to recognise, of course, that many people who are members of Parliament are very, very intelligent people. And many are also motivated by noble motivations. They actually want to make Australia a better place. I personally know Christians who are members of Parliament And uh, despite all of the restrictions of the political environment, their heart is actually to make a difference in a positive way. Their heart is to have a Christian influence. So to the extent that this has been successful, I think that's a very, very good thing. As to the the actual politics behind it, really, I, I can't comment because I don't have any inside information. And I think we are raising the question, uh, and uh, we'll leave it to listeners too, perhaps to uh, to be able to assess how that might be working if you're thinking along the lines of uh, who's doing what in a political sense. Let's move on because there's so much to talk about from last night's budget. Uh, Rodson Hill, the issue of keeping taxation low. Uh, there is a commitment there from the Treasurer. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, on his ideas? Well, uh, last night he announced, and and this wasn't a surprise because it had been pre-announced, that they were going to keep the rate of taxes down below 23.9%. I don't know how they chose that, but 23.9% of the total income which is generated in Australia each, each year. But actually, that's not really the issue. The issue is, what is the size of government? And uh, we've seen a very unusual phenomenon with the current government, and that is for the first time that I can recall, and I've been following politics for about, well, since about 1965, put it that way. I can remember when Robert Menzies stepped down as Prime Minister, so that's how far my interest goes back. This is the first time we've actually seen what is supposedly a conservative government not actually wind back on the size of government after the increases that were brought into play by a Labor government. And uh, I I think this is an interesting, but for me a worrying phenomenon, that the size of government is now around 25% of what we call gross domestic product, which is is essentially the value of everything we produce in our nation over a period of a year. There is no attempt, and there has been no attempt actually, 
since 2014-2015 to reduce the size of government. What the government is hoping is that their revenues will rise overall to match their spending. Now, if they are unable to raise it through taxation, they will either borrow, which will impact upon the national debt, or they will find some other way of raising revenue, which is to tax by some other means. So I'm quite sceptical about the value of this particular commitment. I would much prefer to see a commitment to reducing the size of government back down to, say, 22%. And, and that would be a big task, and you wouldn't be able to achieve that right away. But what this government has not done is actually controlled expenditure, and that's very unusual for a conservative coalition government. You raise some important points there that take us forward to next year's budget, assuming that there's a federal election between now and then, uh, and then, as you say, the way that budget cycles work, you get the hard-nosed cuts that need to happen uh, to make an economy flourish uh, in the first term of a new government. So you've got these sweeteners at the moment, uh, the enlarging of even uh, public sector employment, uh, but then if you look ahead 12 months, you might anticipate that sometime someone's going to have to take the razor uh, to the size of government, uh, but no one's got the courage to do that right now. Is that a fair enough way of, us, of oh, look, assessing that? I think that? that's true. I, I, I think, look, the, the coalition was really stung by the reaction to the 2014 budget, and they haven't got over it yet. So um, it's a really difficult thing. And, of course, there are still initiatives from those early budgets that are languishing in the Senate. And, um, I mean, I I think that the the Senate did a huge, huge disservice and damage to our nation. And uh, there there seems to be this view in politics today that it's all about opposing everything the government wants to do. And I think that's just plain wrong and is not biblical. I think it's very, very sad that this is what what happened. But nevertheless, it is a concern because the bigger government is, the less room there is for the private sector to operate, and it is the private sector that creates the basis for income growth in any nation. And if, if we shrink the relative size of the private sector, ultimately that will be to our detriment. Okay, picking up on a Facebook comment from a listener, and uh, I'm not sure how to make uh, full sense of the comment. Uh, The comment goes, politicians don't mix with God. Can you please explain? Uh, politicians don't mix with God. There's a bit of a misconception that goes on sometimes about what Christians do with our faith. Somehow, rather, uh, you know, faith at church on Sunday, uh, back to work on Monday, and, uh, you know, maybe there's a yes, division yeah. there. Uh, your thoughts just quickly on that uh, that comment from Grace. Well, look, um, I, I agree with the idea that God calls individual Christians into all sorts of roles, and that includes politics. As I said before, I personally know quite a number of Christians who are members of parliament, both state and federal. They can't always force their own ideas on their colleagues. And in fact, some have told me privately that they have bigger battles in their own party room than they do on the floor of the house. But God calls them because he wants to use his people in every area of human activity. 
Okay, 1-800-316-316 if you'd like to join our conversation. Uh, Gavin Martin, uh, let's talk a little bit uh, whether you've got some details on how uh, people in the country, uh, regional Australia, might have fared. Uh, the government is providing something in the vicinity of $161 million over four years to improve satellite navigation. Uh, there's some more money for the Royal Flying Doctor Service in more regional uh, places, uh, more regional university uh, places, in fact. Uh, and uh, the idea that there's no further drought relief for supporting farmers in drought-affected areas. Uh, any ideas, Gavin Martin, on, on some of the ways that uh, that regional Australia might be affected by last night's announcements? Uh, yeah, it's not something that I'm uh, solidly across, although I did um, hear about an innovative approach to um, uh, coping with the drought is that you can sponsor... Uh, there was a farmer um, seeking sponsorship of their cows to get them through the... Uh, the drought, so you could actually um, uh, contribute some money towards the cow. Um, you get a photo of the cow, and um, it helps them get through the through the drought. Um, so, quite an innovative way to um, raise some funds to provide feed to get um, people through the drought. Love those sort of things because it's actually individuals helping individuals um, getting through difficult uh, periods. But um, yeah, it is a tough time for those people um, in those drought-affected areas, I think particularly in New South Wales. You know, I think that's probably inspirational for a lot of listeners to our conversation today who are living in regional areas, uh, people who are on the land. Uh, Rod St Hill, this idea of innovation, I mean, the Prime Minister was talking a lot about innovation uh, early on. Uh, what are your thoughts on, I mean, ideas like that uh, for regional Australia? I think it's a great idea because it's, it's actually what you might call private welfare. And I think that's something to be encouraged and applauded it's a noble thing to do to help our fellow when they're in trouble, even if it, even if it is through sponsoring their their cattle. Um, and I, I think that's something that we really need to applaud as the church and to encourage it. Uh, might be something that uh, churches can pick up on uh, to help their uh, their uh, rural uh, communities on the land. Look, there are some non-profit organisations that are doing a lot of really good work in in assisting farmers who are affected by drought. And uh, maybe the churches could get behind some of those organisations as well because they don't attract very much government funding. Just while we're on regional Australia, there have been some developments in the area of mental health as well that I think will have a positive impact in regional and rural Australia. So that's something also to keep in mind. Uh, so much to cover. Let's move on and talk about a crackdown on uh, taxation, the digital economy, uh, companies like Google or Amazon, uh, Facebook being forced to pay more tax under a crackdown. Uh, I imagine that uh, we who are not a part of those big companies would think that's a good thing. Uh, Gavin Martin, any thoughts on, on that sort of uh, uh, crackdown? Ah, uh, yeah, definitely. I think it's it's great. Um, there's so many measures that uh, large corporates put in place to shift profits offshore, whether it be increasing the amount of debt in Australia, that um, therefore the profit is is lower. I, I think the reduction of company tax rates uh, can address some of those issues for corporates. But there's always going to be another uh, country. Uh, or jurisdiction that's going to have a lower tax rate than Australia, company, ta company tax rate. So I think these types of measures are really just uh, great to um, plug those gaps in the system so that we do get more of the tax take that, the, that as Australians we're entitled to of those companies. 
some other crackdowns that are happening. Uh, the black economy crackdown uh, aimed at tax avoidance and money laundering and uh, cash payments over $10,000 will be illegal. There's other things, uh, multinational tax avoidance, uh, closing some more loopholes there. Uh, Rodson Hill, another one is uh, this issue of cashless debit cards. Uh, on certain welfare recipients, and that's the idea of stamping out rotting and uh, and addressing the issue of drug use. Uh, some people will say, well, isn't that an attack on some level of privacy, on uh, this idea of having you know some level of autonomy, uh, autonomy that uh, you can make your own decisions with your own money? What are your thoughts on that sort of uh, governmental uh, control or crackdown, or uh, is this a good thing? Uh, on the whole, I do think it is a good idea, and uh, we must remember that those cards don't apply to 100% of the welfare that the recipient is receiving. So there is still an element of that payment that the individual can use as discretionary. And I do think it's a good idea to restrict the type of payments because, sadly, those payments are not always used wisely. And uh, we really want to do the best we can as a community to prepare people to go into productive employment. And one reason for that is it's good for people to be employed. And we were created by God to engage in meaningful work. Now, meaningful work is not always paid work. My wife was a stay-at-home mum for 20 years. She was doing meaningful work because she engaged in raising our children and doing a lot of um, volunteer work and so on. But for many of us, of course, our meaningful engagement with work will take place in the context of paid employment. And so what we don't want to see is people on long-term benefits, not, not even those who are disabled. We really want, and I think this is important from a kingdom perspective, to give people opportunities to engage in a meaningful way because that gives them identity. It gives them purpose. And people who don't have identity and purpose die young. And I think that's a tragedy. Okay, we are running out of time swiftly, and there are so many big issues. Let me just pick up on another huge issue, and that is the idea of infrastructure spending. Uh, Gavin Martin, when you put your uh, your thoughts across uh, the idea of infrastructure spending, of course this is a good thing for a nation to flourish. Uh, your thoughts on infrastructure spending from the budget last night? Yes, this, last year's budget, there was um, a lot of focus on infrastructure. I think that uh, continues and it helped the shift from um, mining investments uh, that then moved into uh, uh, property type investments and then is moving into um, uh, the infrastructure investment. I think that was really helpful for the economy. And I think if that continues, it's a good way to use um, and uh, uh, bring, bring about efficiencies. Uh, so I, I really support that infrastructure uh, spending and uh, um, great to see that they're continuing to invest throughout uh, Australia in it. Okay, let me just just throw in a couple of other little bits and pieces here. Uh, the craft beer drinkers uh, getting tax relief for a uh, for a beer tax. Uh, there's uh, there's all sorts of issues there and uh, different uh, different perspectives from Christians around the nation about beer taxes and uh, drinking beer. Uh, a quick thought from you, Rodson Hill. Well, I mean, the reason that was brought in was to remove an anomaly because that was one particular beer that was treated differently to others, and and I think there's a, a reasonable um, reason for doing that. I, I'm not a, don't have an issue with that. Um, on the whole, I, I'm not strongly in favour of 
really, really high tax on the sort of what we call sin goods on on alcohol and uh, cigarettes, for example. And one of the reasons for that is that when people spend a lot of money on those types of products, their families suffer. And so I actually have a moral concern with placing very high rates of tax on those things, and I'd rather tackle the issue of abuse of alcohol and cigarettes and so on in different ways. Uh, a thought from you, Gavin Martin? Oh, I, I, I tend to think that, um, and uh, I haven't read the research, but my understanding was that uh, as you increase the, the cost, the um, of these types of um, uh, products that does limit the ability to continue to um, utilise them as much. So if you increase the cost of um, uh, cigarettes, then you can't afford as much. But totally agree, great to address the um, the diagnosis or the problem, so the, the addiction, um, but I don't rule out, rule out the, the, the fact that there is evidence that increasing the cost of them does have some uh, benefit as well. All right. Well, we have run out of time, and uh, I just want to express my thanks to uh, both of our guests today. Economist Dr. Rodson Hill, who's Vice President Academic at Christian Heritage College in Brisbane, and uh, a rare uh, opportunity there for people to study uh, under a Christian worldview, uh, the issues to do with business. So we're talking business and accounting, uh, all of these things on a Kingdom of God uh, foundation. And uh, Rodson Hill, honour to you because uh, you've been uh, at the forefront of the lecturing when it comes to the business faculty. People don't think of a Christian college as having business faculties, but you do. And uh, so certainly honour to you for that. Uh, Gavin Martin, and I'll point people to Cornerstone Wealth uh, in Melbourne and in Sydney. Simply Google Cornerstone Wealth to find Gavin. Gavin Martin at a company that's based on the principle that a person's true worth is not measured by financial net worth, but on the belief that the individual is of inestimable value. Uh, to you, Rodson Hill, and to Gavin Martin, thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and your hearts with us today here on 2020. You're very welcome indeed, Neil. Thank, thank you to you. Gavin. Great fun. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.